Hi. This is Andrew Lada. Welcome to another edition of Sadistically Speaking. This is episode 37. Are you morally superior to a fifth grader? In my last podcast, I talked about morality. uh, And there were some other issues I wanted to get into and present, but not as much as I wanted to end the podcast and finish my tequila. So this one is sort of a follow-up on the morality discussion. Also, it was a requested topic from one of my loyal listeners, one of my 2.5 loyal listeners. So as much as I was angry at the gas hoarders and the traffic accident gawkers in my last episode, the real scum of the earth for me, the real scum of the earth, are those people who drive down the shoulder of the freeway once traffic stalls to get ahead. Or those people, and I'm presuming they're the same people, who wait until the last moment to merge over when there's a sign that a lane is ending. I really hope that Dante reserved another level of hell for these assholes. By the way, the second worst humans on the planet are those who let in the late mergers. You're the ones who reinforce this behavior. Well, come on in. On the other hand, the drivers of big trucks who pull partly under the shoulder to block the assholes from using it to race forward, you're the real American heroes. I would give you a National Medal of Honor, even if you have a dumb fuck MAGA sticker in the back of your Ford F-150. My issue with the shoulder drivers and the late murderers is that their action can be read as stating something like, yes. We're all traveling in the same direction, and you're held up by this inconvenience as much as I, but I am more important than you and deserve to be in front of many of you. Now, I know that if I actually talked to one of these asshats, they wouldn't say that. They would say something instead like, and here I'm presuming that they're capable of relatively grammatical English statements, something like, hey man, you could have done the same. Why wait in traffic if there's a way to get out of it? That's just being a sucker. It's not like the cops are going to come pull you over for driving the shoulder. They're dealing with the accident. By the way, I was going to continue that uh, impression, but uh, I'm pretty sure, one, you got the point. And two, even though I was impersonating a redneck, I'm not certain this is a redneck thing anymore. I think it's just a morally degenerate thing that people do regardless of how much sunburn they have on their backside. Anyway, I know these kind of people. I grew up amongst these type of people. They think of themselves as good people. They go to church most Sundays. But the problem is they look at the world as if it's a constant prisoner's dilemma. The prisoner's dilemma uh, was developed in the 1950s. It's an interesting philosophical game about rational choice. Uh, Fun fact, John Nash, who's the main character in the movie A Beautiful Mind, a real person who did substantial work in developing an overarching theory that included problems like The Prisoner's Dilemma. Oh, second fun fact. The movie uh, uh, Beautiful Mind sucks. But everyone liked it because it made you feel a lot smarter because they dumbed down John Nash. Anyway, Prisoner's Dilemma. Basically, you have two people being interrogated in one of those police interrogation rooms (laughs) that I think mostly exist on TV shows. In fact, are they all using the same set? Can everyone who's listening to me have the same image of what a police interrogation room is? I'm pretty sure most people listening to me haven't been to a police interrogation room. I'm hoping to hell there are some that have. That's who I want in my listening pool. But what do you imagine? 
police interrogation room. Gray table, gray room, one light bulb overhead, chairs that look sturdy, kind of uncomfortable. I actually don't know if there's any other generic location that I could mention that wouldn't result in the exact same perceived image amongst everyone. Anyway, two people being interrogated in separate but identical gray rooms about some crimes in which they may be involved. The police want you to turn in the other person. If you do, if you turn them in and they don't say anything, you get off and the other person is fucked. However, on the other hand, if you both turn on each other, you're both fucked. On the other hand, and I believe this is the third hand, if neither of you turn on the other, then each of you get off with a life sentence. I just said life sentence and I meant light sentence. Obviously, getting off with a life sentence wouldn't be a thing. All right, try that again. If neither of you turn on each other, you'll get off with a very light sentence. So this is actually a quite interesting problem. And last episode, I talked about the categorical imperative of Immanuel Kant, which I butchered a bit uh, and we want to discuss in more detail. But basically, the question, the moral question is, what if everyone did this? What if it was a basic categorical imperative, a rule for humanity. In this case, the categorical imperative would suggest you don't rat out your compatriot because that would lead to the best outcome for everyone, right? I don't rat you out. You don't rat me out. We both get light sentences, not life sentences. We both get light sentences together. But if I rat you out and it's a moral ruin, you rat me out, then we're both fucked. The problem with the shoulder driver late murderer types is that they see much of life as this artificial prisoner's dilemma and what the aforementioned John Nash actually called non-cooperative game theory. That is, life is this game where no one's cooperating. They're not cooperating with you. That's a really narrow view of the world. So, Some of us who would want the best outcome wouldn't rat out the other person. But these people who drive down the shoulder, they would rat the other person out. Because if the other person doesn't rat them out, then they face the full brunt of the sentence. And they're the loser. (laughs) I go free, you lose. That's their view of the world. Who the fuck is that person? That's the person who decides to merge in late in front of as many people as they can. You're the loser because you didn't do it. I did it. I win. I get to go home early and open my first can of Natty Light. Sorry, still not fair to the rednecks. Note that their response has two outcomes. One is that if you didn't move over into the merge lane or you came in earlier, you're the loser. You'll have to stay back and them moving in ahead will actually slow you down, you lose. The second possibility is that we all pull into the merge lane and it becomes a traffic jam and we're all fucked, just like in The Prisoner's Dilemma. That's what these people, that's the world they live in. But hey, I'm sure your Lord and Savior will wash you of your sins if you drive down the shoulder of the freeway to church, asshole. This brings me to one of my favorite major theories of psychology, which is Lawrence Kohlberg's theory of moral development. 
Uh, Kohlberg's idea in the late 50s is that children develop in their moral reasoning in a similar set of stages that define their cognitive development, their ways of dealing with the world in other ways, which is put forth by people like Piaget. Okay, now, whether these stages of Kohlberg's actually exist, that's not well-resolved empirically, doesn't matter. The theory is more interesting as a tool to think about our own moral reasoning. Why do you choose to do good things? Ask yourself, why did I choose to do the good thing? I'm going to give a quick and dirty overview um, of Kohlberg's stages because I want to get back to my tequila and you want to stop listening. So here are Kohlberg's six stages of moral development that you should make it through to be a moral adult. First is the obedience punishment stage. Here, you do the right thing in order not to get punished. Children are learning what is right from wrong in the basis of punishment. Shit, I just got spanked. That must have been the wrong thing to do. Uh, I don't drive down the shoulder of the road because I might get pulled over by the police. That's the lowest level of moral development. The child eventually moves to the self-interest stage. And that's where you ask, should I do this? I don't know. What's in it for me? At this point, the child moves beyond just the worries of being punished and starts to make decisions on the basis of what the upside might be. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? Does that start to sound familiar? Late murderer? So if you say, ah, should I help my friend move this weekend? Probably, because it'll mean he's indebted to me and I can get something from him later. Does this sound like the voice in your head? Cool. This is the moral basis of a seven to nine-year-old child, a third to fourth grader. A fifth grader should have moved to the next stage, which has to do with wanting to be seen as a good person instead of being driven by it's an all-about-me-and-fuck-you attitude. This is sometimes referred to as the good boy-girl stage. You want to be looked at as a good boy, as a good girl. There's no question in my mind that Donald Trump never moved from the last stage, what's in it for me, to this stage. But just because he became president, that's not a reason for the rest of us to be as morally retarded as he is. Just as we should not want to copy his skin color, his hair, his lack of capacity to speak the English language. Also, this is where the virtue signalers lie. I just said virtue signalers. I meant signalers. So Karen, at home, texting out that she supports black lives while drinking wine at 3 o'clock p.m. in her expensive house and telling her children, hey, these are the neighborhoods you shouldn't go into. She's at this level. Or the ass fuckers who let in the late murderers on the freeway. Oh, I want you to go in. I want you to think I'm a good person. Cool. You reached fifth grade status as a moral individual. Can you still name all of three of Columbus's ships? Stage four of moral development, according to Kohlberg, is basically summed up in the we are a country of laws. This is where you do things because they are the law of the land. Laws, duty, obligation. It's the way we do things here. It's funny to me that people who say shit about duty, obligation, and the law think of themselves as the most moral people. 
These are the people who don't pull onto the shoulder to drive ahead because that would be illegal. Now, you certainly rise above the moral eight-year-olds driving on the shoulder by you, and I celebrate that, dear sir. But did you ever question whether these rules are moral, efficient, or rational? No, they're the rules. You follow them. That's the stage four. By the way, this includes people who follow the strictures of their church. Back in the day, refrained from eating meat throughout Lent. That was a practice for centuries in the Catholic Church. All of Lent. Then in the 20th century, like 1918 or something, it moved on to only on Fridays in Lent did you not have to eat meat. And by the way, that was only in the U.S. In other countries, they did it two days a week, either Friday, Saturday, or in Ireland, it was Wednesday, Friday. And you're a moral person. You did that. I'm not eating meat. I'm a moral person. I'm not going to eat meat on Fridays. Also, I'm not eating meat on Fridays because this means that mom has to pick me up a filet of fish from McDonald's with good tartar sauce. Because she sure as hell wasn't going to cook fish in her house and vegetarian burgers weren't a thing. You're such a good person for skipping meat. But why did you do it? Because it's in the Bible? Of course the fuck it's not in the Bible. Lent and not eating meat is not in the Bible. You have no idea why you're doing it. And you don't care to ask why. You just stick yourself at stage four. That's why we do things. Stage four is so easy. Just do what you're told. Though, I want to point out, stage four people, you're still better than the fucking shoulder drivers. Stage five. Stage five is the first really mature level of moral reasoning. And um, there are reasons to believe that most people don't make it past stage five if they even make it to stage five. At this level, you understand why religious rules and community laws exist. You understand the reason. Individual rights are important, but they have to be balanced against the fact that you're being part of a community, so we all agree by some contract to live by some rules, but they're not the be-all and end-all. You still have an understanding that they are good in some sense, but you don't have to follow them completely. For instance, I speed on the freeway. It's against the law, but all of us on the freeway have basically decided that this is the speed we're going to drive. I know it says 65 we all decided 75. I'm not the asshole in his Camaro dodging around cars to get ahead really fast and driving 100, but I'm not the fucking moron who drives one mile under the speed limit because after all, it's a limit. You cannot actually reach the speed. You can become infinitely close, but it's a limit. More Morons and assholes. By the way, shout out to my man George Carlin who referred to people who drove faster than him as assholes and people driving slower than him as morons. So wonder we can get anywhere with all these assholes and morons around. The nirvana level of moral development for Kohlberg is when we make decisions based on our own coherent and consistent derivation of universal moral principles. We do what is right because it fits these thoughtful principles. Now, last time I gave short shrift to Kant's and categorical, his 
and categorical imperative because it was his attempt, actually, to develop the same idea as Kohlberg 173 years beforehand. For Kant, we have motivations or imperatives, as he said, for our actions like, I'm really hungry, so fuck it. I'm going to go through the McDonald's drive-thru. What's in it for me? But that's not a moral action. A moral action is one that's based on a motivation that is not just determined by me at this moment, but some universal absolute motivation, which I paraphrased as, what if everyone did that? Uh, A weak paraphrase, but effective. It's a beautiful idea when really practiced to have principles above everything, but it's rarely practiced. As I have mentioned in several podcasts now, it's a deep disappointment to me uh, about my religion, Christianity, at least the religion I was brought up in, that it preaches a conscience imbued with the spirit of God in each individual. Each individual can make a decision because they have God within them that gives them the conscience to make a decision, a moral decision at this highest level of moral development. But then have strictures and rules given to the church, given through the church, I'm sorry, that are maintained with the threat of eternal punishment in hell. At best, this forces the believer to remain at stage four in moral development with five to follow the rules. But let's be real, it really relegates believers to stage one where you don't sin because you want to avoid punishment, like the worst punishment. In the words of the great moral philosopher, Donald grabbed them by the pussy Trump. Sad. Sad. On the other hand, let me call to you, my friend. If you don't take the shoulder when traffic slows down, because, yes, you get home earlier, And of course, no cop is going to get you. But it's against your principle to do something for yourself that would result in everyone else being inconvenienced. Then maybe you've just grown up. I'm proud of you. Pass the tequila. Out!